in one of his little uh, show, one of his little skits, one of his little stories, uh, the comedian Michael McIntyre, who, generally speaking, is fairly clean as a comedian, uh, he tells a story of uh, bringing his little boy Oscar to uh, a crash, you know, and uh, so the other way, like he brings brings his his little fella along and sends him off into the little bunch of children who are all playing with different toys and things like that, you know. And then sometimes the parents gather around and they talk about how things are getting on and how the, how they're doing and what, how, what words their kids are now saying and all the new developments and things, and um, start talking about ISO lock. Uh, car seats and how all of these things, you know, which is the best car seat and where to buy them and so on and so forth. And I think he could just see that his little son was playing with another boy. And um, so Oscar, his son, was playing with a little toy. And then this other boy comes over and just pulls the toy clean off him, right? And Michael is, the, is looking at this scene uh, quite a little perturbed. And then the parent, I was going to say the owner of the child, the parent of the child looks over and says, Ah, oh, boys will be boys. And Michael's like, well, um, boys will be thieves. Um, uh, uh, this, I mean, like, it's, this isn't a boys will be boys kind of situation. Your son has clearly stolen from mine. Uh, and, he, and he goes on, he develops the whole story. It's, 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 it's quite humorous. But uh, I just thought of that this morning. When it comes to how parents see their own children, how parents see their own children, uh, parents almost always will see the best in their children, will see the best. So even when they're out of line and have clearly stolen, uh, they'll, 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 they'll find an excuse, they'll find some way of justifying it or explaining it or understanding it. Uh, and even when, when, as I say, when children make proper mistakes, they'll still try and see the best in them. This, when children are kids, this also, when children are, are, are teens or older, and you meet uh, parents in their, their 50s and 60s uh, whose children have gone very much off the road of righteousness, what shall we call it, off the straight and narrow. Children who, who, who aren't practicing anymore, who maybe aren't even in contact anymore, who have made some awful life decisions, and those parents will still do their utmost to see the best in their children. I think this is a, a spark of what God sees in us, or how God sees us. Where he's not blind to our errors, He's not blind to our sins, and he knows what sin has cost him. So, like, the Lord dying on the cross is what sin has cost him, his very life. And not just giving his life uh, quickly or easily, but giving his life in a very brutal and very uh, torturous way. Complete self-emptying. This is what sin has cost him. So he's not indifferent to it. He's not blind to it. He knows knows exactly what, what it has all cost. But he's able to look at us, his children, and still see the best in us. Still see the best in us. Despite our errors and despite our mistakes, despite our sins. That's, I, I think it's, it's such, such a beautiful image. When we think about also today's first reading, which is a, a, a small bit odd, uh, well, because there's an odd aspect to it, which we'll, we'll clarify. So it's obviously from the book of Exodus. So um, Moses has gone up to Mount, Mount Sinai for the Ten Commandments. He's gone for, for quite some time. People down below start getting impatient. Is this Moses dude ever coming back? Are we kind of stuck here? Who's our leader now? Who's going to make decisions? What do we pray? Who do we pray to? How do we pray? Let's make ourselves a golden calf, right? 
really stupid idea. And Aaron, Moses' brother and his spokesman, often, uh, says, that's a great idea. Let's uh, gather all the gold and let's, let's, uh, let's make this calf. Now, like, this is wrong for all sorts of reasons. This is wrong because this was, a, like, this was an, an Egyptian practice. They say that it took 40 years, well, the man passed through, sorry, the Hebrews passed through the Red Sea after all the, the plagues and all the prodigies and all the, the interventions of God. It took a while, a couple of days, a couple of weeks to get them out of Egypt. It took more than 40 years to get Egypt out of their hearts. You know, they were able to pass through the Red Sea and, and get out of Egypt relatively quickly. But it took a generation to get Egypt out of their hearts. So this, this falling into idolatry so easily. And there's a, a very interesting statement. When they make this calf, they don't say, the God of Isaac, Isaac Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has freed us from the Egyptians, but let's adore this other God, right? That's not what they're doing. They, they make this golden calf and they say, this is our God who freed us from the Egyptians. You know, here is your God, Israel, who brought us up from the land of Egypt. So, how, how do you phrase this? It's not exactly clean idolatry in that they're not saying, God freed us from Egypt, but we're going to adore this other God instead. They're going to say, they say, God freed us from Egypt, and this is him, the calf that we have made. So what's their, what's their problem? What's their error? They're adoring God on their own terms. <clears throat> they're not adoring God as he has asked them to, but they're worshipping God as they see fit on their own terms. And this is, like, this is so common today. Like Jesus says, you know, do this in memory of me. He wants us to worship him through the celebration of Holy Mass and Sacraments. Uh, this is what he has given us. This is how he wants to be worshipped. And we say, yeah, that's nice. We'll worship you this other way, though. We'll hug trees. We'll... You know, get, get focused on all sorts of other stuff that maybe, it's not, it's not that it's evil or unnecessary, but it's not the worship that God has asked for. It's a subtle difference, but it's very, very important. Do you know, like, to say, I, I worship God on my own terms or in my own way, and it's, it's not bad necessarily, but it's not what he has asked. And if he's asked for something, it's probably right, because he's God and hasn't yet made a mistake, and chances are, I'm not going to find a mistake in anything that he has done or said. Little me. Unlikely. God knows what he's doing. And he has asked to be worshipped in this way. So I say the, the, Egyptian, the, the, the Hebrews, after their, their escape, the, their issue isn't that they immediately just kind of fall into idolatry. It's, it's not exactly that simple. But they say, they create a calf and say, this is the God that has freed us. But the, No. It wasn't him, and even as we, as we heard in, in, in our psalm, uh, they fashioned a calf at Horeb and worshipped an image of metal, exchanging the God who was their glory for the image of a bull who eats grass. Okay, that's almost biblical humor. Okay, there isn't a lot of it, so pay attention when it appears. Um, they're saying the God of the universe who created all things and freed them from, from Egypt, they replaced him with a bull who eats grass. You know, that's how ridiculous an action it was. Okay, and in all of this, God sees them, God knows their hearts. God wants to forgive. Moses intervenes for them. And it looks like, 
it's a bit, it's a bit this, this is the kind of the strange bit of the reading. It looks like, you know, God is moody, almost. Like he's getting, he's after he falling into a fit of rage, he wants to destroy them, and then Moses intervenes and says, no, 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 no. But you said, you said that, that you said you promised Abraham that his descendants would number as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. So if you kill them all, then you're going to be unfaithful to your own promise. And then God goes, oh, okay, I suppose, and then relents. No, like, see, th- th- that's kind of the way it's, it's presented uh, in, in the reading, but that's obviously not what happens in the sense that God, is, God the Father is never taken by a fit of rage. Okay? But the way it's written here it is deliberate to underline just how wrong an action it is to worship God on our terms. This is really serious. It also shows us the power of intercessory prayer. Moses interceding for his people, and this, um, as, uh, as it will be written biblically, you know, so God relents in his anger. But as I say, God isn't taken by a fit of rage. So it shows the importance of intercessory prayer, that my prayer can make a difference. My prayer can, can uh, cause an outpouring of mercy, of grace on, on other people. So, so when God forgives us, when God forgives us, he doesn't change his mind about us. When God forgives us, he wants us to change our mind about him. When he forgives us, he doesn't say, well, they were, they were bad, but I suppose I'll choose to see the good. He always sees the good. He always sees our hearts. He always sees the good intention. But it's when he forgives us, he wants us to be reminded of the fact that God didn't hate me while I was a sinner and loves me now that, I'm, that I've gone to confession. God has always loved me. And because he has always loved me, and because he always will love me, that's why I shouldn't sin. I shouldn't sin because I'm, I'm loved by a God who deserves my best, who deserves a pure heart. So as earthly parents see the best in their children, God sees the best in us. We ask him today that we can worship him as he has asked, that every time we receive Holy Communion, we can do so with great reverence and love and adoration, that we can give back to him what he has given to us, pure love. Amen.